When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is another Monday Madness. I am Nathan Baird. He is Doug Lee Maurice. I feel like a lot has happened since we talked to everyone last on the Friday pod, even though Ohio State did not play this weekend, but it was kind of an eventful weekend for Ohio State's playoff purposes. And I guess we'll just start right off with that. Uh, we've been talking for weeks about this potential doomsday scenario, as someone called it. Um, maybe several of us called it that. Loom, looming out there, if Florida ran the table and won its last regular season game against LSU and then beat Alabama in the conference championship game, SEC championship game. What was I going to mean for a, an Ohio State team that could potentially only be 6-0? and And I thought that was a really intriguing angle. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. It was really going to lead to potentially a lot of drama next Sunday when they reveal the awards, I guess this coming Sunday when you reveal the uh, college football playoff rankings and it's all gone. LSU beats Florida 37, 34, kind of a weird game. And Ohio state has one less thing to worry about. Almost. I think maybe now nothing to worry about if it beats Northwestern. This is how it happens. And I, and I don't regret the conversations we've been doing this for however long it's been doing it, even back to the BCS days of, you talk about all these scenarios and it's like, if this and this and this happens, oh no. And then it's like, well, it doesn't happen because teams lose. Unexpected things happen in college football. It's how it works. So it's like, okay, well, the, the biggest thing in the doomsday scenario, which again, just to repeat, is that if, if Clemson had beaten Notre Dame and Florida had kept winning and beat Alabama and the SEC championship, and those four teams were all 10 and one and the conference champs, were Clemson and Florida, and then Notre Dame and Alabama were very strong one-loss non-champs. That might have been trouble for Ohio State. And I actually corresponded briefly with uh, someone I know who's a national writer, and I said, if that happens, do you think Ohio State's out? This was before the Florida result, and he said, absolutely, they're out. Like, he had no doubt in his mind. And one of the things that was happening, and we could sort of see this, is Notre Dame kept looking better and better and better. Yep. And the way North Carolina like rolled all over Miami, right? And North Carolina's offense looked super explosive again was like another thing of like, hey, Notre Dame kind of shut down that North Carolina offense and On the road. look how good North Carolina is. So it was like another third of a data point to confirm how good Notre Dame was. And that 
as we had said before, if Alabama had lost the SEC championship, Florida was a one-loss champ therein. Alabama's getting in. Ohio State's case becomes against one-loss non-champ Notre Dame, and Notre Dame keeps impressing people, even though Notre Dame was off, off this week. So that's what changed on Saturday. That's what was added to the equation of, man, is, is it starting to feel like Notre Dame is in no matter what? Whether Notre Dame beats Clemson or not, are we at a point right now where Notre Dame is in the playoff? If Notre Dame beats Clemson and Clemson has two losses, Clemson has an issue for sure. Clemson might be out. But is Notre Dame in no matter what? And if that's the world you're living in, that Notre Dame is in no matter what, in the doomsday scenario, that was really bad for Ohio State. But the hardest part of the doomsday scenario all along was, is Florida really going to beat Alabama? Which is sort of like, is anybody going to beat Alabama? So it went back to that, but it cracked the door. And then the guy throws a shoe, Florida loses, and that that door is slammed shut. And I just want to say, I want to, I want to shout out dad jokes. I put a dad joke on Twitter about a shoe dad joke. Literally just it. about to ask you how proud you were of that tweet. I mean, it's just a dad joke. I normally get mocked for stuff like that, but I mean, it was just so ridiculous that this, that this Florida player threw a guy's shoe. We were joking this week because JK Dobbins retweeted the time that a Michigan player untied JK Dobbins shoe during the Michigan game, but he didn't take his shoe off and throw it down the field. And this is what this Florida defender, just for no reason, there's like an LSU shoe and he chucked it and got a 15 yard penalty and it changed the game. It opened the door for LSU to kick the winning field goal. So I tweeted no Ohio state, Michigan game in Ohio stadium today, but Buckeyes still got a big win. Thanks to the shoe. It's like the most popular thing I ever tweeted. It's just, I'm just a dad, man. I'm just a dad. <laughs> but that's, I, I thought you encapsulated, I thought it was clever. A lot of times dad jokes are not necessarily all that clever. I thought that was clever. I thought it was, I thought it was punny in the right way. Punny and, and huge. Funny. And, but it, it really did matter. And so we can get into this and like immediately, and there's one particular Dingleberry who is an SEC, ESPN SEC network studio host. It has to be a shtick. He can't actually mean what he tweets because what he tweets is so nonsensical. It was so dumb that I included it in what I wrote for the site on Sunday morning at cleveland.com under a headline of Ohio State makes its playoff case despite whatever against SEC nonsense arguments. And I usually just I just use this Peter Burns guy, Peter Burns ESPN, I think is a Twitter handle. He is a dingaling. And he's an, I invited him on Buckeye Talk. And I, I just I just don't see a case. There's no there's no case for a second SEC team now, really. Whether it's trying to make a case, well, what if Florida beats Alabama now? Well, we, there's an answer to that. They already have two losses, and that can be answered. Or Texas A&M has a one-loss non-champ that is currently behind Ohio State, is not, did not play this week, is not going to play on championship weekend. What would they be doing to get past Ohio State? There's no rationale to that. So the idea of the SEC getting two in is dead other than for people who get a paycheck from the SEC. I suppose there's a slim chance. I mean, Texas A&M has been behind Ohio State this whole time. We do know that um, from what Gary Barta said, there has been some discussion about those two teams head-to-head in the room. LSU beating Florida potentially gives a little extra value to Texas A&M's recent win over LSU. They beat them 20-7. Boo! I'm just saying. It also, I don't think it's going to be enough. I don't think it's going to be enough to pull them ahead of Ohio State. I think Ohio State is in if it wins. It also, and I think they're going to be ahead on, on Tuesday as well. It also blows a hole in Texas A&M's best win, which is over Florida. That's so, true. again, the SEC yeah. wants it both ways. 
That's what I mean. That's what this Peter Burns dingaling is like. Is making the case is like every time an SEC team loses a game, it's proof the SEC should get in. Every time they win a game, it's proof the SEC should get in. You can't have it both ways. So you can't look at it. Okay, Texas A&M's best win is over Florida. Florida loses to LSU, and now that's good for Texas A&M because they also beat LSU. Yeah, no, I mean, you true. can't. You don't get to play that game. And if it, if you want me to bring up the stat, this is the most devastating stat. And it's not like I invented this. It's out there for anybody who has any basic rudimentary math skills. And I don't know if at Peter Burns ESPN has them or not. Here's the biggest problem with the Texas A&M argument. You do not get bonus points for losing to Alabama by 28. People like to throw that in. Like like if you say like the records of Texas A&M's opponents, you don't get to include Alabama because you lost to them. Now, if you don't want to overly penalize Texas A&M for losing to the best team in the country by 28, and you kind of want to almost borderline ignore it, that I think is a reasonable argument. But you don't get bonus points for it. You don't get to throw Alabama's record into your list of your your opponent's records because you got boat raced by Alabama. So, like, I don't want to hear it. It is not a badge of honor to get your butt kicked by the best team in your conference. You lost by 28. So given that Texas A&M is seven and one, the record of the seven teams they've beaten, the combined record of the seven teams they've beaten is 25 and 42, 25 and 42. And that's with the Florida win on there. So take off the seven and two or whatever the Florida is now. But I mean, but I mean, at some point you can't, I mean, I'm, I'm including everybody they beat seven wins. 25 and 42, because now Ohio State will even take off Indiana. We're not playing. We're just playing who you beat. Right. Because you don't get bonus points for who you lost to. 25 and 42. Right now, Ohio State's five wins. The combined record of the five teams they've beaten is 16 and 21, which is a much better winning percentage than 25 and 42. But Ohio State only remains in this conversation if they beat Northwestern. And if they beat Northwestern, the combined record of the teams they would have beaten will be 22 and 23. So if you think Ohio State hasn't beaten anybody, in the end, when the committee gets in that room after Ohio State beats Northwestern, because if Ohio State loses to Northwestern, the conversation's over, it's 22 and 23 versus 25 and 42. And Ohio State will have only played one fewer game than Texas A. A one will have played two fewer games, only have one fewer win than Texas A&M, and they will have a conference championship. So I have no idea what the rationale is. It's, there is none. Nathan, what is the possible well, rationale? And that, that Texas A&M record will actually get worse by one game after Alabama beats Florida, right? True. Yeah, after Alabama beats Florida. Yeah, we'll so 25 and 43. Yeah, 25 and 43 versus 22 and 23. And they'll have one – Texas A&M will have one more win and not a conference championship. And, and, not be and again, best. and the win now is has less value because Florida has fallen in the rankings and will fall in the college football playoff rankings again on Tuesday. Now, Ohio State, or sorry, Indiana was only 12th, and Indiana did not rise. And now the Indiana is only going to play Purdue instead of Iowa, which is something we can talk about in a minute, I suppose, um, as on the crossover championship weekend. Well, not the crossover weekend, but the championship weekend. Um, that, that hurts Indiana's standing, potentially, for the college football playoff here in this final week. Um, but I think it, it does. It, you're right. I mean, the, you're, you're, you're comparing who they've actually beaten and they're no worse than equal there. They're not equal. They're not equal. 25 and 42. Even like, no, 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 but I was talking about, I, I, I'm sorry. The, 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 I mean, I said the, the, the one big win that they have. 
oh, is kind of equal now. Right. The Florida win and the Indiana win are kind of equal now. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Oh, that's a single win. Yeah. You have one. You each have one good win. You each have one top twenty-five win. That's about a team that's going to be like, yeah, tenth to twelfth. And then, and then the rest of your wins against are against teams with losing records. And, and so, Texas A&M won't have another win like Northwestern. So, like, I don't. And Texas A&M missed a bunch of games because of COVID too. They right. didn't play this week because of COVID. So it's like, I mean, I, you know, but I'm not, I'm not blaming Texas A&M for that. Just like I'm not blaming Ohio State for that. So I, I just don't. Again, I, I, one of the texters, one of our loyal texters, and he may be on this week. One of our very loyal, very engaged texters. I went on like a five text rant the other night. And he got very mad at me and was like, what's wrong with you? You're angry all the time. Why are you so angry? You don't have anything to be angry about. This is not the most important thing in the world. Like you have a thin skin. I don't know what your problem is. You can't handle criticism. This is, and he had been very engaged and he's very, he enjoys being a texter. So I I don't want to be as angry. I don't want to be as angry about this because it's not the biggest thing in the world. But I do think my anger about illogical arguments is a proxy for the world. So I take it out on people who make illogical arguments about college football things. So I'm not trying to be angry, but I just honestly don't, I don't see any argument for Texas A&M and I don't see any argument for two loss Florida, even if they beat Alabama over Ohio state. And then there's nobody else. I mean, then it's like Cincinnati and we, and USC and we can get into USC, but like, there's just, there's just not a reasonable argument for anybody else, which is why I absolutely believe Ohio state 100% is it, win and in territory well i think there might be arguments for some of those other teams in a vacuum but they're not it's not in a vacuum and when you compare them to ohio state i think that's where it breaks down like if ohio right. state had lost a game maybe cincinnati could be the fourth team well or texas no, a&m but i'm just saying like that, what do you that's, mean in a vacuum you mean like in in terms of things that have actually happened in the world in like reality if ohio state had lost a game i don't i don't understand your argument no, I'm saying like if, if, if that's the point, that's my point is that like it's not necessarily whether those are like playoff teams at large, you know, under any circumstances is where how do they compare to Ohio State compared to Ohio State? They don't get in. Yeah, which is the only thing that matters, which is the argument every year, because sometimes there's honestly some years there's two playoff teams and you got to pick four. Some years there's seven playoff teams and you got to pick four. So there's no such thing as being a playoff team. Everything is in comparison to everybody else. But there is nobody else who. Either with resume, and again, the, the idea that people want to lean on resume in a pandemic is beyond my imagination. It makes no sense to me. But if you even if you want to lean on resume, we just laid out the resume. There's no resume argument to beat Ohio State. And then there's also not the argument in terms of who's the better team with the eye test. So there's not. We're going to get back to that more when we do uh, who's your four at the end of this. We talk about a little bit more about the playoff because there's some other angles that we need to, to discuss that. But let's talk to, about some Big 10 news today, um, a lot of it dropping um, beginning late Sunday morning. Lovey Smith is out as the head coach at Illinois. Not a surprise there. That's something I think that people saw coming, certainly if not from like the second year of his tenure, but 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 coming into this season, you know, they were coming off of finally getting to a bowl game. They went six and six last year and then uh, lost their bowl game. That was like really the high watermark this year. They just didn't really look like they were building any traction off of that. And it was, I think, time you, – you're in a, in, a, in a really – this happens a lot of times with coaches. You get into that tough spot where it's like you can't, you can't just keep bring them back. You either have to extend them or you have to move on, and I think that was the situation here with Lovey. It's a tough spot. I didn't think it had to be done. I mean, I think a lot of people are making, making 
the points today because Gus Malzahn also got fired at Auburn. Kevin Sumlin got fired at Arizona. If you thought like, hey, it's a pandemic, everybody will kind of get a mulligan. There are not mulligans. These coaches are not getting mulligans. So I thought, again, I mean, what do you, what do you want Illinois to be? What do you think Illinois is supposed to be? So I thought it wouldn't have been unreasonable to give Lovey Smith a mulligan to just be like, okay, well, what was it about this year that this is the line in the sand? I don't know, but he hasn't been very good. I don't know that there's a lot of enthusiasm. I don't know that there's a lot of great recruiting. I don't know that there's a lot of upswing in that program. I think at the, I don't know that it was falling apart, but it kind of had hit a plateau below where they want, where they want to be. Right. So. Illinois got crushed by Wisconsin in the season opener. They lost at home to Purdue, not a good team. They lost at home to Minnesota by a bunch. They won on the road at Rutgers by a field goal. They beat Nebraska on the road. They lost by two touchdowns at home to Iowa, and then they got pretty well run over by Northwestern. And I think you're kind of hitting at it that it's more just we've it has this program plateaued. Like even if even if you think Illinois is only supposed to win six or seven games a year on average. They're below that average. And are they ever really going to consistently get back in that range where they can make bowls consistently and things like that? I, I know that, you know, I, I've actually wrote a big profile on Josh Whitman a couple of years ago because he was from Lafayette originally. And then he played at Illinois before his NFL career, uh, Josh Whitman, the Illinois AD. And before he was ever even named the head coach or the assistant, the athletic director at Illinois, he had that thought in his mind, like Lovey Smith would be a, that's who I would go after to be the head coach at Illinois. So that was like his guy. And it worked early on in terms of like kind of infusing that program with something after the, the whole Tim Beckman thing, they needed somebody to come in and kind of reinvigorate the program a little bit. There had been a lot of apathy there. They were, they were hurting from just a support standpoint. So Lovey brought some of that back. He was obviously a guy who took the bears super bowl. So really regionally, locally, he had some connection there and that was that success happened initially they were able to get some money they were able to get some support and they've done some other things with that but i think it's been obvious when you look at the recruiting results and then you look at the results on the field that that second step just has never really happened and i will say just from what little i know about josh whitman i know that he's a hyper competitive guy he he you know again he played football at illinois so this is pretty personal for him so i think that dynamic may have factored into this too a little bit that it's time to um kind of look around the country and see and actually I guess I would, you could also argue the opposite a little bit. Like if you think you're going to have to make a move a year from now, anyway, make it now because maybe there'll be actually less action on the carousel this year. And that those, those candidates who would be the candidates next year, there might be, this might be your year to go get them less competition for those guys. I don't know. But um, regardless of that, there's going to be a coaching change in the big 10 West. So the problem is that the big 10 West is there for the taking and nobody's taking it. Now, Wisconsin right. is Wisconsin, but Again, there's no, and I, I did an interview with a Northwestern writer the other day, and it's like, there's just, there's no reason for Northwestern to be like the second best program in the West. That's insane. And they, maybe they're not, maybe Iowa is, but Iowa is what Iowa is. And it's like Minnesota jumped up, Nebraska stinks, Purdue is not really doing anything under Jeff Brom. Like there is room there. It's not like in the East, actually there's room in the East at the moment too, because everybody, I mean, the whole Big Ten, ugh. but I mean, sometimes there's, yeah. there, there's, well, there's room in the East to be the two and in, in the West. You could argue there's room to be the one if you want it. I mean, Wisconsin's really good. I mean, Wisconsin does not. Wisconsin's having a rough time of it this year. Wisconsin is really good, but you could go head to head with Wisconsin. I mean, who, someone else should be able to go head to head and be yeah. as good as Wisconsin. It's not Ohio State. 
And so, and even like Penn State is, you know, Penn State is really good. Penn State, again, before the season, we said it's a top 10 national program. There's not anybody in the West like that. So then usually what happens is when somebody's up, somebody else is down. There's actually room for more people in the West to be up. The teams like Purdue doesn't stink because Illinois and Nebraska are good. Like there's just because they all stink. Yeah. And again, Minnesota had one good year and they fell apart this year. So who else is good? Who's good? So I think that opens the door for like, you think if Illinois, if you're Illinois, you think, listen, if we get a good coach in here, we could be competing for the conference, for the division title, not the conference title, for the division title in two years. You get the guy next year is his first year. And then in his second year, you get a transfer quarterback. You get a couple of good and you boom. So that's why you do it. That there's there's room in the West. The failures of the West helped Lovey Smith get fired. Because if if they had three great teams in the West, you were like, Lovey man, you're doing your best. Let's give you a little more time and see what happens. There's an opening. So I want Brett Bielema because I want Brett Bielema back in the Big Ten. I, I want Brett Bielema for every, every opening that comes up because he's a Big Ten coach. He went to Arkansas for the money because he was mad they didn't pay his assistance enough, and he sucked. He sucked at Arkansas, and now he's doing whatever in the NFL and bouncing around. He should be a head coach in the Big Ten. I mean, he did a good job at Wisconsin. He really did. He helped like, – you know, he carried along what Barry Alvarez built and then laid the foundation for what Paul Christ is, but – what Brett Bielema does, I think, would work at Illinois. I think he could recruit the same. I mean, he just becomes Wisconsin South. Get a bunch of big boys on the offensive line, run the ball, you know, have a little bit of a toot, be a little bit of a jerk. I love jerks. The big surprise. I think that works. And I, I, I'm, I don't want to say his name because I think I might have said it wrong. I'm just gonna say Lance, the guy I talk. Can't remember. Is, is it Leipold or Leipold? The Buffalo coach. I am not coach. sure. Really, not well, sure. I should know that. The Buffalo coach who has a system that worked and won national titles at the division three level is working at Buffalo right now. He's an offensive mind with a particular way of going about his business. He's doing a really good job at Buffalo. That's another name that's been out there. So I like either of those two guys. Bielema's a little recycled, but I think he's just a big 10 fit. I like the up and comer out of the Mac. I think that makes a lot of sense, but there's, there'll be decent guys who want that job. It's not Luke fickle. It's not Luke fickle. Why Luke Fickle would turn down Michigan State to go to Illinois. Luke Fickle can wait for a better job than Illinois at this point. But but they can do I think Bielema, I really hope Bielema gets a good look there because I just would love to have him back because I think he'd give the conference a jolt. And I think he'd probably be good for that program. The the other thing um, about uh, Leopold or Leipold, which it's especially embarrassing. We don't know how to pronounce that since he's been on this podcast. <laughs> but the other thing about him was he's got a, uh, he was very successful at the Division Three level and Whitman's only athletic director um, experience before he came to Illinois was two stints in that division three programs. And so I think he's very well. Um, I think he knows Leipold well, and I think there may be a connection there. So that is an interesting one to watch. Um, the other news that came out in the big 10 today was the announcement of the championship weekend matchups. And when this was first brought up back in, you know, before the season, it was, I thought presented as it's going to be the crossover weekend. It's not just the championship game. It'll be the twos play the twos, the threes play the threes. But the Big Ten didn't like marry itself to that. It definitely said that there was room for flexibility, whether that was going to be because of you want to avoid uh, rematches or whatever. And what they ended up doing was really deferring to the the big rivalry games that had to be canceled because of coronavirus concerns. Um, Purdue and Indiana will play on Friday. Minnesota and Wisconsin will play on Saturday. 
a lot of the others ended up being just crossovers of some kind. Although in Michigan State and Maryland, two teams from the East who had their well, game canceled, they're going to play. Well, once you have two West teams playing, you had to right. have two East right. teams playing. So, right. Yeah. But I bet the begin that's that there was two teams that I believe had their game canceled because of. Yes. Of COVID. There's, there's no so, rematches. There's no rematches. So right. yeah, Michigan State, Maryland was canceled by COVID. So um, not a surprise there, but what it did kind of lead to is we'd all been kind of theorizing that, that was going to happen. Maybe not so much with the uh, Indiana game. I thought they might still give them Iowa um, as much as it would suck to lose the old Oak and Bucket game for a year for all the people in the state of Indiana that, that I thought that game might be important enough for Indiana, which has a chance at maybe a New Year's Six type situation that they would keep that Iowa game intact. But um, I don't know if that's, if they deferred to the schools, if the schools wanted that so badly that they gave it to them, but I'm sure the the big 10 did not do that unilaterally. They did not do that against Indiana's wishes. That's for sure. So maybe Indiana's thinking is if you go out and pour it on Purdue, that it helps you just as much as if you beat Iowa by some other school. But you're the one who pointed out when Indiana beat Wisconsin, they didn't move at all. Very true. In the playoff ranking. So like the only thing that was going to impress the committee, I think is beating another ranked team. And that was their chance was Iowa and they're not taking it. So I think it is a clear decision to prioritize in this situation, which is trying to position yourself for a new year's six bowl. And frankly, the second best team in the big 10 usually has a decent shot at that. And there's so much screwy stuff right here. Like it's not the Rose bowl because the Rose Bowl is supposed to be a semifinal game. Although, frankly, it might be the Rose Bowl, because if they wind up not playing the semifinal at the Rose Bowl because they don't want to send a bunch of teams from the Midwest to the West Coast to play a playoff game, and all of a sudden the Rose Bowl is open, and they play a traditional Rose Bowl, and often when there's a Big Ten team in the playoff, then the second the second best Big Ten team goes to the Rose Bowl. That's happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be that Indi- and it's a case between like Indiana or Northwestern to go to the Rose Bowl and that Indiana is perhaps lessening its its positioning by not playing Iowa, by playing Purdue. I don't know. Uh, to me, whatever it is, it's clear Indiana and the Big Ten prioritized in that situation. They prioritized tradition and a rivalry over playoff positioning. And w- w- obviously led to the question of well, what would have happened if the if Big Ten had not changed its policy on the the minimum games requirement that we obviously talked in depth about last week and that's what allowed Ohio State to go to the Big Ten championship game what game would Ohio State have played this weekend and it seems like there are strong indications that they would have played Michigan because the other choice is Iowa so again we're not talking about we're talking about okay the rule is in place you can't play Northwestern and Indy that's out that Indiana's playing Northwestern and Indy now your choice is the second place crossover against the second best West team, which is Iowa, who's ranked whatever, two loss Iowa, mm-hmm. or the greatest rivalry in college football. Those would be your choices. I just can't, given what happened today with the two rivalries that were preserved, right? I mean, it's to me, it's obvious it would have been the Michigan game. You would think so, I, I suppose. And now, I guess it is interesting to think of what would Ohio State have picked if Florida had beaten LSU last night? Do they need that Iowa game more than they need the Michigan game at that point? That's a fair thing to think about. It would have been a heck of a conversation. And because obviously playoff positioning when you're trying to get in the actual playoff is different than when you're trying to position yourself for a New Year's Six Bowl. But also Ohio State, Michigan is more important than Indiana Purdue. No offense to Indiana Purdue. Indiana Purdue, honestly, is probably the second most important rivalry in the Big Ten. Although actually Minnesota-Wisconsin is rather. I think Minnesota-Wisconsin. I'm glad they saved that. 
But but in the end, it's just odd as it worked out. They did end up saving with this weekend the second and third best rivalries in the Big Ten. They could not save the best. The obvious, clear best could not be saved, which is why I wish they would have worked a little harder to try to do something because they just they just didn't. It's the thing we talked about last week. We don't have to cover that on old ground. They did not work very hard to try to save Ohio State, Michigan. They just said, you can't do it. You move, it's too much moving people around. You know, again, the idea that you would have somehow moved up the Big Ten championship game to play Ohio State Northwestern last week, but you didn't want to do anything. So you preserved a game where Northwestern could play a school that's their traditional rival whose coach got fired. Like, I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not nearly as important. And everything else they're playing, they're getting, I mean, this is assuming Northwestern and Ohio State don't have COVID cases this week. They're getting a championship game. They're saving the second best rivalry and the third best rivalry. Yes, other schools had things that didn't happen. Maryland didn't play Michigan and Wisconsin didn't play Nebraska, which I guess is important, but whatever. They saved this really in a crazy year. They saved Ohio State's playoff, like, positioning, playoff case the best they could. The only thing the Big Ten really, truly lost this year was the most important game. So, and they didn't work very hard to save it. And and that's just a fact, because they didn't go crazy to try to save it. They just said, we're putting it at the end. Oh, it got canceled. Okay. And that's might be fine, but it's a fact. And they did get a little creative here. It wasn't as hard, but they did get a little creative. They strayed from the original purpose to save these other two games. Right. But again, that that's a little easier to do because these games were never actually scheduled. It was always just kind of a theory that was out there as opposed to games that actually were down on paper. Which we've it, covered. Which we've covered. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, James Cratch from NJ.com on Twitter, after I sent out the link to a piece that I wrote about this very topic, um, responded and said, this is why I was surprised that there wasn't more conversation last week about whether Ohio State should try to should should not fight for Big Ten championship game inclusion and just take the Michigan game this week. And my response was, well, at the time, you got to remember the context of the conversation in the moment is important because at the time we still had that doomsday scenario on the table and it still seemed like Ohio state might need that conference champion title when it came down to decision day to help its case with the committee. Um, But now how would people vote for that? I think that's interesting right away. Somebody said, responded to our conversation and said, well, I would have rather played Michigan. So I think, I think you have some, you asked our tech subscribers what they thought about this and I'm intrigued to hear what they said. Flash poll. We put it out right before the podcast started. They responded immediately. We're up. We're over, well over, like 60% of texters responded in this. We've had the poll out for less than half an hour. And the question was, so this is, and so there's two points here. One is you get a trophy and you are the champion. And if a championship is still a tiebreaker somehow, but also Northwestern is just a better opponent than Michigan. So it's another ranked opponent as opposed to a non-ranked opponent. So that I think matters too. So there would be two things in terms of your playoff resume or data points for the playoff committee that would be the edge to Northwestern and the edge to Michigan is the greatest rivalry in college football. Which game do you wish Ohio state was playing Saturday? Because of course you'd play either of these over playing Iowa. So the choice is a world where they did not rescind their own rule. Ohio state is ineligible for the championship game. And so they match them with Michigan instead, or it's the situation that we're in now where they are in the championship game against Northwestern. 
So Nathan, this guess, all these votes, this is a very representative sample, and I've been watching the votes come in. It's been right around the same percentage from the start. So Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship or Michigan, which game do you wish Ohio State was playing Saturday from our Texers? What do you think the outcome was of that vote? I think it's probably about 65-35 Northwestern. Or I'm sorry, 65-35 Michigan. Oh, you should have stuck with your first instance. Oh, really? Really? It's This is so interesting to me. 69-31 Northwestern. They want the thing that helps the playoff case the most. They do not want to preserve the rivalry at all costs. And that's what playoff positioning is. That's all costs. The idea, can you imagine if Ohio State rolled Michigan and on Selection Sunday, Texas A&M got in? Can you imagine the reaction? from Ohio State fans and from Ohio State players and from Ryan yep. Day and Gene Smith and Christina Johnson and the board of trustees and everybody that we picked the rivalry and it wouldn't be picked, but let's say it would have been picked. Let's say they, let's say the big 10 had said to Ohio State, listen, man, we're happy to rescind this stupid rule because you've earned it. You would have gotten in and you've earned it. But if we keep it, we have a pathway for you to play Michigan. Well, we'll let it, you decide. You, you don't, I mean, look, if Ohio State wasn't pushing for this behind the scenes last week, it wouldn't have happened, right? The Big Ten, I don't think, stepped in in front of Ohio State and said, you guys haven't even asked, but well, let's but, put you in the Big Ten championship game. Well, but no, but but, but I mean, the, against the money argument, it's better for the Big Ten to have a playoff team. Right. And it increases the chances of their best team getting in the playoff if the best team plays for the championship. So I'm saying I, I'm pretty sure OSU was probably lobbying for this. As well. I'm not even sure. I mean, I don't. Who knows? It happened. It was obvious to everybody and it happened. It would have been only weird if Ohio State had been like, you know what? This kind of weird rule that doesn't make any sense that's hindering us. We're good with it. Don't <laughs> change it. Keep unjustly punishing us because then we can play our rivalry game. And you know what? We think we'll, they, we'll roll them. Brian Day said he's going to hang 100 on them. We'll try to win. We'll try to score 100. See if that impresses the committee. But then, I mean, again, it is at least some degree less for your resume. And if you believe resumes are still a factor here, right? Like, wouldn't it be, we don't have to put a percentage on it, but beating Michigan at home is at least somewhat less impressive than beating a ranked one loss Northwestern team in Indianapolis. Is it not? Yes. So that's what's at case at stake here. I mean, it's not like there's anything that cool. I was on I was on James Laurinaitis' radio show this week, James Laurinaitis and Bo Bishop in Columbus, and we were talking about it, and James said he values his gold pants from beating Michigan far more than he, more than he values his Big Ten championship rings. That the only thing – and that he said that because I didn't win a national championship. James Laurinaitis at Ohio State played in two national championship games but lost them. So the only thing better than gold pants – for a great Ohio State player. And I think his, his thoughts would reflect most Ohio State players. The only thing better than a pair of gold pants is a national championship ring. Gold pants is next. Gold pants is ahead of a Big Ten championship trophy. Because, like, you kind of, you got to get the gold pants to get the trophy. But really, if you only had one, you know, like, you really, they put the pants first. But here, our texters are not putting the pants ahead of the Big Ten Championship Trophy because they think the Big Ten Championship Trophy is more important to getting to the only thing more important than the pants, right. which is a national championship. So it is a very complicated, right, kind of discussion, but yet it's not a very complicated vote. 
It's 69-31. So you, you're a little surprised by that, Nathan. Only because I, I, I thought maybe there were people who could do the math. It, 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 it gets it, – you can get away from me pretty quick if you start doing this, but it's like if Ohio State goes in and really crushes Northwestern, which I think might happen. I have not obviously put um, my game prediction down. We won't do that till later this week, but I'm leaning towards this being a game that I think Ohio State could really maybe open up. Um, if they do that, where is Northwestern in the final rankings? How much difference is there in the value of that win over having just beaten Michigan? Because we just saw, again, Indiana, without its starting quarterback, goes up to Wisconsin and beats a team that was in the college football rankings at the time and doesn't move. So I, I, I don't – I part of it is just me not knowing exactly how the committee really is valuing some of these things. And it might end up just being that they think that Ohio State, from, from the collective things that they see – setting everything else aside, they can tell how much collective talent there is there. And that's, what's going to get them into the playoff as much as anything else. But that get that gets pretty far down the line. And I understand, I think people are making the logical decision over the emotional decision. And I applaud that. Well, but the thing is, if you play Michigan and beat the heck out of Michigan, there's a chance you get both. You get to play Michigan and yeah. you get in the playoff. Right. And those are your two most important things. Getting in the playoff is number one. Beating Michigan is number two. Winning the Big Ten Championship is number three. If you take number two, you still have a chance to get one and two. If you take the other one, you're eliminating the chance to get the second most important thing. You still have a chance to get the third most important thing, which you're sure you will. And then you assume that in getting the third most important thing, you kind of guarantee the first most important thing. So it's very interesting. I, I, but again, this to me is more of people just are at a slightly different place with the rivalry that it's great. And, 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 and there was, a, you know, I wrote the thing a couple 10 days ago about how, what if they don't play Michigan and kind of everybody's okay with it. And some people push back against that, but I, I, this reaffirms that to me that people are not going crazy. Of course they like it, but it's not the end all be all because the playoff is the end all be all. And they want anything that can be done to increase the chances of getting in the playoff, even by 1%, that's the priority. And they'll get to Michigan next year. We're, like I said, have more playoff talk at the end of this pod. Let's take a break. We are going to come back and get into the Monday Madness categories here on Buckeye Talk. All right, first up in the Monday Madness categories that were passed down to us from the, uh, the Council of Elders so many years ago. Uh, ballot boxing, Doug, you get to take your shot at my AP ballot. Winding down the season, only a few more times I have to torture myself by coming up with this ballot on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights as it stands. Why do you have USC 12th? The USC is like the last remaining example, probably even more so than Ohio State, of having to gauge more on where a team where you think a team is talent wise with some accomplishment against teams of that actually have accomplished things. You know what I'm saying? So then how do you compare like, like I have USC 12th, I have coastal Carolina 13th and BYU 14th. I think USC beats either of those teams. So I guess that's what it came down to. That's what, that was like one of the, no, 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 no. Why don't you have USC like seventh? Oh, okay. You're saying too high. Um, oh, because... USC ahead of Coastal Carolina. Yeah, every well, okay, day but then... on Sunday. Sorry, I misunderstood what you're asking. Well, but then because then at the end of the day, there's also a, a ceiling when you haven't actually seen them beat teams of consequence. Like they just so they just barely won. They just barely beat UCLA. 
Um, they beat Arizona State by a point. They beat Arizona by four points. Arizona didn't win a game. Arizona is atrocious. They do have a nice road win at Utah, and they beat Washington State at home. They have the same but, record as Ohio State. They're both five. Right, but then again, but then again, I think it comes down to they weren't starting from the same place in terms of how what what you think is there collectively talent wise. Again, I think if you add five more games to USC, maybe they would have convinced you of that. Or convinced me of that. I suppose we're saying it's just I I I don't. I, I can't just say any five and zero, any undefeated record, is is equal to another team's undefeated record. I would say I would argue Cincinnati eight and zero has actually played more good teams, has more good wins than USC does right now. Yeah, that's fair. And you, three of USC's five wins have come from them scoring the go ahead touchdown in the final eighty seconds. Right, they're including against UCLA in the final sixteen seconds or whatever it was on Saturday night. They are a traditional power that recruits well. That is five and zero. That is the only undefeated team in their power five conference. So in that way, they are the exact same thing as Ohio state where they are not the exact same thing as Ohio state is preseason perception. They were eight and five last year. Ohio state was undefeated in the regular season and made the playoff. This is the argument I've made during the year that Ohio state Clemson and Alabama came into the season, not having to prove anything. They only came in having to confirm something. USC is having to prove something to prove they are not that eight and five team. And again, I think this is a one-time circumstance where you in the search for data points and the search for context are allowed to bring in a little bit of what a team was last year when you're only dealing with a limited number of games this year. But also if Clem- if Notre Dame beats Clemson and we'll get in the playoff thing, I mean, USC, if USC is the undefeated six and O PAC 12 champ, and there's a wide open race for that four spot. USC is going to be saying, give us a look. And at the moment you have them 12th behind, you know, two lost Georgia, two lost Oklahoma, two lost Florida, two lost Iowa state. And they just, they've played the same number of games as Ohio state. So if they're, but if, they're, if you're if your rationale for that is a, the Indiana win for Ohio State is better than any USC win this year. And B, Ohio State was just a more established team. We knew who they were coming in. We did not know that with USC. And I'm allowing some of that previous knowledge to factor in when they've only played five games. That's why you have Ohio State third and USC 12th. Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, you've said it before too, that you get to, that talent does get to be a factor here that gets to be one of the things that you mentioned it's not necessarily even so much reputation it's actual talent on the field and you can look at who ohio state has and see talent scattered all over the field and we know ohio state's talent more than we i can't name as many individual players for usc obviously but we know what ohio state has all over the field and i don't think anyone would say that usc has that same talent all over the field but i mean they have it as much i mean they're next they're i mean they're they're in the next tier. I mean, they're USC and Keaton. So where Slovis, would you where would you put them? Keaton Slovis can sling it. By the way, he's no, yeah, for yeah. 381, 325, 264, 287, and three forty four. He's thrown for ten touchdowns and two interceptions his last two games. Um, I might have them, and this is one of those where I think I probably, as a voter, would allow myself to really just reinterpret stuff. And that okay, well, when you were two and zero, I thought this about you, but now you're five and zero. I might have them against like ahead of like everybody with two losses. Cause again, okay. Florida just lost to LSU. Okay. Well, Florida has a win over Georgia, but how good is Georgia exactly? 
and they lost to Texas A&M, and then they just lost to LSU. LSU isn't that good. And USC maybe doesn't have a good a win as good as Georgia, but they also haven't lost to a team as bad as LSU. And at some point, you get a little credit for like finding a way to win at the end. And so in a world where you know five and zero versus eight and two or seven and two or seven and two and six, I mean, I I would think about. I don't know. I would think about USC as high as six. Like, why is USC behind Indiana? Indiana, whose best thing, Indiana lost to Ohio State. What's their best win? What's Indiana's best win? Wisconsin. Who sucks? So, I mean, like, they don't have a, do they have a win over a team with a winning record? I mean, they beat Michigan, Wisconsin, and Penn State, and it turns out all those teams don't have very good records. So, yes. I don't know what Indiana's best win is. They lost to Ohio State close, but they also have a loss. USC has found a way to win. USC is the best team in a Power Five conference. They're undefeated. Indiana's six and one. USC's five and zero. Oh. Are we sure Indiana should be six spots ahead of USC? I mean, it's hard. It's hard, but it's just it's sort of what, what threshold do you start rewarding undefeated teams in Power Five conferences? I don't know. And maybe the threshold is after they win the Pac-12 championship and beat Washington, and you think Washington's pretty decent. Now that's the win that causes your reevaluation of USC and they jump up seven spots in the final rankings. Maybe that's when it is. Maybe it's not yet, but I do think with a team like that, with the limited resume, but as long as they keep winning and they're a power five team at some point, maybe you give them a big jump. So I think 12 is a little low at the moment. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. The whole pack 12 is a little bit tricky. Like Utah's two and two having just beaten uh, Colorado, which is a team that was getting ranked, and I, I didn't think they weren't ranked by me last week, and I feel a little bit vindicated by that because uh, some Buffalo fans were blowing me crap. Um, and Utah lost to USC. Utah lost to Washington. But then also Washington was a team that I was ranking until then Washington lost to. I'm trying to remember who it was now. Oh, that's the wrong well, one. But, but part of it is, I mean, that's what you're saying. You're saying right. like, well. They lost to Stanford at home. I mean, so Washington wasn't quite doing what I think – I people thought they might. So, you know, the USC hasn't lost. You're right. just talking about all these teams that sort of lost respect in your mind because well, they wound up losing, but USC hasn't lost. Yes. But I was also saying that because those teams weren't as good, that also affects how much you value when USC beats them. So the same reason you were just saying that it doesn't value that the value of beating Penn state and Michigan isn't as much for Indiana. No, I agree. I agree. I don't know. I mean, it's very hard to make distinctions, but also you don't have Indiana and USC stacked on top of each other with a within a, a hair's breadth of each other. You have one six and one twelve. I don't know. Like that's and we fall into this. You fall into it every year, and you know this. I mean, you're the one who's voting. But it's like at some point you can convince yourself that nobody's good. So it's like, right. why is Iowa State? Does Iowa State beat Texas, who stinks, who's almost going to fire their coach if Urban Meyer would have taken the job? Like, who cares that Iowa State beat Texas? And who cares? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's very hard to balance. Hey, Florida got upset by LSU. Anybody can lose, but also I don't want to go around assuming that an undefeated team who hasn't played that many games would get upset. I mean, if you're, if your point is like, well, USC's played so many close games, they'd eventually lose to somebody if they played more than five games. And it's like, okay, so now we're in a world where we're like, preemptively punishing a team for losing a game they haven't played that we think they would lose. I mean, that's hard too. So I don't know. It's very difficult to vote this year. I think USC 12 is a little low. I hear it. 
Um, and Iowa State also beat Oklahoma, by the way, but is a team that I actually ranked ahead of Iowa State this week. It, it gets very tough when you start getting to like there's people throw stuff at me on Twitter. And a lot of times I've just gotten away from responding because it's once everybody starts beating each other within a conference, it becomes sometimes very difficult to separate that, you know, which, which loss was better, which win was better. Um, and so that's why, as I've always tried to tell people that like, don't look at it as like, there's not a huge gap between 12 and nine. A lot of times there's very little separation there and you're just trying the best you can to, to stack those teams up um, in a way that makes sense. So uh, margin call, what in who are what in college football are you buying or selling this week? I'm going to go on a, a quick, like a little inside baseball thing. My day started today with having to vote in the, uh, all big 10 voting. And I don't know if you remember this from when you did it, Doug, and maybe they were doing it differently back then, but the, the mechanism by which you vote for all big 10, this computer thing that they have you do is really confusing and uh, clunky and complicated. And on top of that, there were a lot of problems I had with it this year because they had, I'll give you one, one in, for instance, um, they have everybody listed by last name, comma, first name. So you go into a position group and you go to vote for a guy. So I go to vote for Jonathan Cooper for one of my defensive linemen for all big 10. And he's not listed as Cooper, comma, Jonathan. He's listed as Jonathan, comma, Cooper. So, and I didn't even catch that um, the first time I looked at that page. So then like later I had to go back and, and find him again. Cause I thought for some reason he just wasn't listed there. Cause there were some other examples of guys that I thought would be on lists who weren't on the list to vote for, but that's not even actually what I'm complaining about. Um, there were some other, what, the one thing that got me was the way that you have to vote for big 10 offensive and defensive player of the year. We did a thing on this podcast last week where we talked about, we, we ranked our 10 best Ohio state players for 2020. And I think you might've actually had Pete Werner as the, as your number one defensive player in the top 10. Yes. Uh, I did not have him. I think I had Haskell Garrett as my top defense. Okay. Player. You had Haskell Garrett. I had Haskell Garrett. I actually had Togiai right after him. Maybe it was Steven that had Werner highest among yes. the three of us. When you go to vote for big 10 defensive player of the year, there are only, I think each team only gets one candidate. So Ohio state's candidate is, was Pete Werner. So like, I could not vote for Haskell Garrett for big 10 defensive player of the year. And it becomes pretty confusing to me because then someone who you might not even be voting first team all big 10 is now that team's representative for big 10 defensive player of the year. I thought that I found that very confusing. Same thing with offensive lineman of the year, Ohio state's candidate for offensive lineman of the year is Wyatt Davis for obvious reasons from like a reputation standpoint and everything else. But I don't think he's been Ohio state's best offensive lineman this year in terms of performance. I don't think any of us put him highest on our list among the offensive linemen for that team. And now this is just one example because we cover Ohio State. And Ohio State sometimes is a difficult team when it comes to all-conference voting, thing, conversations like this, because they have so much talent that you're starting to like split hairs in a way that you don't sometimes on other teams where guys just stand out more. But there were, there were just I, got, I came out of that experience today a little bit disillusioned by the way that you had to vote for certain things. I wish there was more flexibility and I wish it wasn't so rigid. Um, I wish teams maybe had um, more of an, a, a, an opportunity to put up someone like Haskell Garrett. So people go look at the numbers, can now go look at the pro football focus um, grading that's out there, which really helps you now. I, we talked before, it's not perfect on the linemen and, and other positions, but you don't, before in the past, you kind of only could go off reputation and then like the sheer number of yards that a team ran for or whatever. And that's how you're voting for guards on on these teams and now you can go, go look at the pro football focus grades which i think helps at least gives you another data thing so that was my 
uh, complaint today um, was that I felt like I didn't necessarily get to vote for what I truly felt would have been reflected on a couple of those positions. And I think it was because Ohio State either chose to or was limited to who they could put up. Well, if there's only one guy from each team, it's clear that the Big Ten's saying you only get to put up one guy, right? Right. But I mean, but, but for like offensive lineman of the year, they chose to put up Wyatt Davis. Right. Probably because they want Wyatt Davis to be somewhere on the list. Maybe he'll get in on his reputation and then it helps them for the next award that they're trying to get him to. Because they know that like Thayer Munford isn't going to win national awards. But Wyatt Davis might because he was an All-American last year. Yeah. I'm I a mean, little I- bit, that's maybe my cynical take on it, but. I mean, I do. I'm okay. I think this is factoring into the Heisman thing, and I'm curious to see how this Heisman thing unfolds. I'm okay okay sometimes like with the team saying, like, here's who we think our best guy is. And I'm thinking about that with, like, the Alabama Heisman situation. Like, if Alabama really wants to say, Devontae Smith is our Heisman candidate, Mac Jones, like, I'm going to respect that. I'm going to factor that into how I view the Heisman race because they know their own guys better than anybody. So if Ohio State's saying we're putting up Pete Werner, we're putting up Wyatt Davis, um, it's one of these things, again, it's hard. I do think sometimes – if you put up too many, if you have three of the best offensive linemen in the league and all of them are there, sometimes they split the vote. And that's how some guy from a team that went two and four is the offensive lineman of the year. So I do think sometimes sort of consolidating the we're the best team. Here's our best lineman vote, I think, can be helpful for, to a team so that you don't split it up so much that every year the best offensive lineman is from Maryland. So I get it. Anyway, so I'm selling today's voting experience, and um, maybe it can be better next year. Well, I don't think it's going to change. No, probably not. <laughs> no. <laughs> but they, they, it was funny that they acknowledged, like, I was I was trying to get it done. The deadline was noon today, and I was talking to the Big Ten PR guy. I was like, hey, I'm sorry. I need a minute, because I was having some computer issues with it, actually. And he was like, no, I, I should be the one apologizing to you, because I know that it's really cumbersome. So they know that it's it, – they try to do the best they can. I just am sick of Texas A&M. So I'm going to sell Texas A&M, but I'm not saying anybody else should be fifth. I think they're obviously fifth. I'm just selling them in the conversation as in uh, something changes. So just that stat of they haven't beaten anybody. I just, I just don't want to hear it anymore. So I just, I'm selling every part of anything associated with the Aggies. They're number five with a bullet, but it's a bullet that's been like fired at their toes. Like that's as far as you go. I mean, I think there's a lot of good stuff when you like separating tiers and that people do that sometimes tiers of players, tiers of teams. And it's like, again, sometimes there's seven great teams. Sometimes there's two. I mean, they were clearly to me as a tier drop off between the top four right now. And then whatever, then this second group, the Texas A&M may lead, but I just don't want to hear them in the top group. Story of the week. This is the storylines that we're watching for the next Ohio State game. This was a, a topic on today's call that we did, Sunday's call with Ryan Day, Justin Fields, and Jonathan Cooper. A lot of different versions of the concept of style points. So that was kind of my story of the week is style points. I think it's probably not as important now that what's happened with the Florida game. It's but over. I thought it was. What is the argument for style points anymore? I don't, I don't think there probably is, unless, unless it. I, I don't think there is anymore. But I thought it was. I thought it was an interesting topic, though, because Ryan Day tried to was was went very quickly to uh um you know i think style points are uh, opposed to everything we've ever been taught to to think and you know in every other sport it just matters how many games you win and we don't care about things like style points i was like what are you talking are you, is this, are you new to college football i mean that's insane that he said that i wasn't on the call today that's crazy that ryan day said that that's a great I mean, go ahead and live in like 1981. Go ahead and live in like the New Hampshire State High School playoffs. 
But even then, I'm sure they have people who vote. I mean, the Ohio high school playoffs, it's not just your record. You're seated based on all kinds of things. That's crazy to me. I mean, that's not how it is. If you live in that world, congratulations on letting Texas A&M pass you. I mean, and, and I don't know. I mean, you have to play well. And again, it depends what side points are. Listen, here's the thing that I think is true. Just because we think it's obvious doesn't mean that everybody on the committee thinks it's obvious. So I guess you do. And we had this conversation already. I guess you don't want to crack the door on a Texas A&M argument by beating Northwestern 17 to 16. And then all of a sudden it's like, what? And it's like, well, the Texas A&M also hasn't beaten anybody and they're not playing this weekend. Texas A&M is not getting to make a case. They're not making a case for anything. They're just sitting back and hoping they, they stumble backwards into it because somebody else fails. So I guess from that standpoint, if you think somehow, because if they lose the route, but if you think somehow a 17-16 win over Northwestern to win the Big Ten Championship is worse than not playing. That like they're ahead of Texas A&M right now. Texas A&M doesn't do anything. Ohio State wins then I guess style points do matter. But the idea, like the pushback against style points is not living in the real world. Ryan Day should live in the real world. That's a crazy thing to say. And maybe he's just trying to, but we can't, I mean, then let's change the system. Then fight to change the system where every conference champion guarantees a spot in the playoff. But by the way, there's still going to be wild cards who get in based on what the committee thinks. So that's not the world you live in, Rye. Sorry, man. I mean, you can argue, too, that style points extends to things like just the the impression that people have of your program, the talent that you have, the way that it flashes. You know, Gary Barta comes out every week and talks about Justin Fields and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and and the, the, the firepower. And if he doesn't think style points are important, just look at where his 5-0 and team is going to be on Tuesday night compared to, as we just talked about, where USC's 5-0 and team is going to be on Tuesday night. I think style points are a factor there. And so I think I was a little bit surprised to hear him say, but I don't know exactly what he's supposed to say there. I guess he can't say like, oh, I know I have to go in and beat Northwestern uh, by a thousand on, on Saturday, or we have to, uh, as he would be speaking for Ohio state. But um, I, it just, I don't know. It, it, it caught me as being a little bit of a disingenuous. By the way, thing. a lack, a lack of style points while, while winning the big 10 championship last year dropped Ohio state from number one to number two and made him play Clemson in the semifinals instead of Oklahoma. So ask if style points matter. And again, it depends what you want to call it, whatever style point, but like how you win, it's not just who wins, it's how you win. And, and sometimes coaches and players get trapped into an answer where he doesn't want to start talking about, well, we have to beat Northwestern by this much. And then Pat Fitzgerald starts hanging it up in the Northwestern locker room and saying like, they think they're, they're acting like the, the win is locked up. They're talking about how much they're going to win by. Is that what you, right? So if he's got trapped and he's trying yeah. to just make sure he doesn't give that answer, then I understand it. If he actually doesn't believe in it, then he's not living in the real world. What's your story of the week? I think it's the Northwestern defense and whether they can actually maybe slow down Ohio State, whatever, 25%. Tom Allen and Deanna, I think, have a pretty good defense, and Ohio State you know, blew them off the field for two and a half quarters. But Northwestern, I don't think uh, is as maybe talented or as attacking as Indiana's defense, but they're pretty stinking solid. They lead the Big Ten in fewest points per game. And then the hard thing to tell is like they haven't played a quarterback. The only quarterback they've played is Talia Tonga-Vailoa, who they played in the opener, and they destroyed Maryland in their opener. And Tonga-Vailoa threw for like fewer than 100 yards and had three picks, and he's been like really good since then. So I am attributing that to, okay, that was like his first college game. He was awful. 
off a pandemic and a weird preparation. And then he figured it out and now he's good. But what if it's that Northwestern's actually a pretty good defense? He threw for 94 yards against Northwestern, three picks. The next week against Minnesota, six days later, he threw for 394 yards and three touchdowns. And then against Penn State the next week, he threw for 282 yards and three touchdowns. So I don't know. You know, maybe Northwestern has a pretty solid defense, not to stop Ohio State, but to make it slightly interesting, to maybe keep Ohio State from scoring in the 40s. And if they do that, if they maybe even can keep Ohio State from scoring in the 30s, then maybe Northwestern has a tiny, tiny chance here. But I'm very curious how good this Northwestern defense actually is. Didn't Ryan Day have something to say about the Northwestern defense? He's had a lot to say about the Northwestern defense. Yeah, he was talking about how – and. Fitzgerald and, and that defensive coordinator have, have just been together for a while and have, have you know, schemed um, a lot of things out over the years to where, you know, he said this a couple times now where you might break something on them once, but you won't break it on them twice. Like they just, they adapt well. They, they, they read things well, they prepare well for what you're, you're going to do and try to take you out of it. And this, I mean, this is a group that has, um, I don't remember all the names off the top of my head, but all this, those three linebackers, they've got a couple guys in the secondary. They've got a freshman who led the Big Ten in interceptions this year. So, I mean, there, there's talent all over that defense. Now, the question is whether it's talent, as you as you astutely point out, that matches up with the kind of talent that Ohio State has because they have not played anyone of that caliber yet. I mean, the closest, I guess, would maybe be Mertz and Wisconsin uh, to some of the things. That, but that's, that's a poor man's version of what Ohio State does, obviously. Um, sitting out there I'm also uh, curious Ryan Day is like effusive in his praise of Peyton Ramsey like I on the call today I even went back Evan and it was because he had said something the other day um, on the radio show or whatever or whenever we last heard from him about how much he liked Peyton Ramsey and I kind of went back today and I was like hey the numbers are pretty pedestrian in fact uh, you know how many quarterbacks rank ahead of Peyton Ramsey in the Big Ten in terms of quarterback efficiency rating 15 it wouldn't surprise me. It's 10 including of, of ones who actually qualify. It's 10. So you rank 11. Anytime you rank outside of the number 10 in the big 10 and something, you're not good at it. So he's got eight touchdowns against six interceptions. It's not that impressive, but, but Ryan day is effusive and talking about how much of a winner he is. He's a coach's son. He knows how to lead men, all that stuff. So we'll, we'll see. Ron just ran the ball also really well against Illinois. That's actually probably the bigger threat. If they could have another game where they could move the ball on the ground, but that's, plays right into the strength of Ohio State's defense too. I just don't know if this is a team that can score really at all against Ohio State. No, I mean, it's one of those things. Again, if you go back and you start talking about who are the quarterbacks that have beaten Ohio State in the Big Ten recently, it's like David Blau and Nate Stanley and Connor Cook, you know, and it's like, all right, well, I don't know. Can Peyton Ramsey do that? It's like, well, I mean, if David Blau can do it, Peyton Ramsey can kind of do it. So it's one of these things. I mean, the formula for Northwestern is play really good defense, you know, limit Ohio State. I don't even know if it's about forcing turnovers. I think it's about one of those things, making a good play. Don't give up big plays. And then, you know, maybe Justin Fields holds the ball. You get a sack. Now it's second and 13. Now they're behind the sticks and you force a couple punts. And meanwhile, Peyton Ramsey plays his David Blau game or his Nate Stanley game when Nate Stanley threw four touchdowns for Iowa in, in 2017. Like that's the formula. So what does that mean? I mean, all that means is, their quarterback has to play the best game of his life and a defense has to shut down like the best op- passing offense in Ohio state history. Like oh, that's all they have to do. So easy. Yeah. Just, just two check, just two boxes to check, two boxes to check. And you're the big thing champion. I mean, other than, I mean, fits fits. Does you feel like all you guys have to do is 
play the best game in program history on the defensive side and play the best game in program history on the offensive side and you guys are good to go. Again, I think this would be the biggest win in Northwestern football history to beat Ohio State in the Big Ten yeah. championship game. And I'm not even sure, you know, they won their first bowl game a couple years ago, whatever. They beat Michigan in like a shootout in the 50s, I think in 2000. But like, this is like Ohio State. This is like a national championship contender, Ohio State, that's not like a weird getting overlooked in October kind of thing. It's on, it's a championship game. Ohio State is full steam ahead towards the playoff. And if Northwestern somehow ends that, it's the, it's the biggest win in Northwestern history. I agree. We're going to take a break there. We're going to come back and finish off the categories here on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, let's walk the line. Uh, Circus Sports made Ohio State a 20.5-point favorite on the opening line of the Big Ten Championship game over Northwestern. It receded back to an even 20 for a little bit. Now I just checked. It's back to 20.5 as we're recording this on Sunday night. And that, that number has been there, I think, from some other lines for a while. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Ohio State's been favored by 20 or more points in every game except the, the game at Penn State back the second game of the year on, on Halloween. They've been favored by 20 or more every other game. Um, this seems in line with exactly where it should be. I think it could be a little higher, actually. I, I would have guessed, if I was going to guess what it would have been, I would have said like 24. That to me... If you're taking Ohio State and feeling like, okay, Ohio State wins by three touchdowns, I cash my ticket. That's that's a pretty good feeling because, again, that's one of those you talk yourself into 41 to 20 and you win with Ohio State or 37 to 16 and you win with Ohio State. It's not like Ohio State has to put up 50 because we just don't know that Northwestern is going to score that much. So um, I, I guess sounds about right. But, again, I think I think you had said earlier you're kind of thinking this might be a blowout. Even though it's only 20, I'm not sure. I might take Northwestern with the points on the idea that this Northwestern defense actually is pretty decent. And maybe they just force enough punts that that it's more like a 35-17 kind of game. And Ohio State doesn't score 50. But I actually, if I was picking the line, I would have guessed it's 24. So it, it feels feels a little low to me. You probably, you don't think you would take it at 20? I, I might not just because I have to study Northwestern more. I have to analyze and watch their defense more. But the hard part of it, too, is, of course, Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State really wants to play. Ohio State really wants to go score 50 in indoors. And we always say it's like Ohio State. All the Big Ten championship game does is increase every edge that Ohio State has over every other team in the conference the best thing for the rest of the league would be to play the big 10 championship game in a mud bowl, not indoors on turf. So I have no idea. It's quite possible. Once I watch Northwestern a little bit more, it's like, Oh yeah, they don't have any corners that can cover these guys. Oh, Ohio State's going to score 63. They have no hope of covering Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. That, that might be out there. So I'm not saying I'm going to pick Northwestern with the points, but if I feel like, they have any players at all who can hang even 50%, then I think they might scheme something up to make it a bit of a slog for Ohio State. Yeah, I think early when I was thinking about this, I was thinking it could be some kind of crazy number that they were able to put up. I know that's obviously what they're motivated to do, not that they don't want to do it every week, but obviously special considerations this week. But the more I think about it, maybe I'm backing off that a little bit. I mean, when they played in 2018, it was 45 to 24. That was a... Um, I, you would know better than I if that was maybe a better Northwestern offense. It was certainly a 
um, less impressive Ohio State defense or a, a defense with even more holes than the one that it has now. So, I mean, that's still that's still a 21 point game. This is a this is an Ohio State offense that I would, you know, a little bit more dynamic. Not that that one wasn't. I mean, they obviously put up some points with, with Dwayne Haskins, but I think the, the what, what could what is potentially available for this offense is a little is maybe a, another step higher than that. And you know, again, the history of going over there in Indy, Ohio State, as we know, scored fifty nine the first time they played in the Big Ten championship game in twenty fourteen. Twenty seventeen, when J T. Barrett was hurt, they only scored twenty seven. They scored forty five against Northwestern in twenty eighteen. They scored thirty four last year when Justin Fields was hurt. So this will be the fifth time that Ohio state has played in the big 10 championship game. It'll be only the third time they've played with a healthy quarterback. And so the first two times they had a healthy quarterback, they scored 59 and 45. So maybe that's what's more, maybe that's what's on tap. Could be fear factor. How much should Ohio state fans be concerned about the next game? Uh, I, I think, this is a game that they'll win, I think, by a pretty comfortable margin. I suppose the only fear factor is that that last blip that we talked about where if you don't win it convincingly, are there repercussions? Yeah, I think it's very small even for that. Because, again, like, you know, I even like what does a small Ohio State win look like? Probably still 10. I mean, it's this is I, how this game is not going to come down to like the final possession. I mean, I just I don't even know what that would look like that we said, oh, if it's 17, 16, what would that look like? I have no idea. I have, so I think the fear factor is like 5% that Ohio State doesn't do what it needs to do to make the playoff. And that's the only thing. With whatever the score, all they care is on Sunday when they announce the teams is Ohio State in the playoff. And if they are, then the Big Ten Championship game was successful. And if they're not, then the Big Ten Championship game was a failure. So what are the chances that they don't, they don't hear their name on Sunday? I just think they're very, very low. So I, I think about 5% fear factor. I was saying 15, but that still seems like a low number to me. It's only because you're playing a team that um, also has a championship at stake and, and, and all that stuff. And we don't know for sure, for sure, the full extent of who Ohio State gets back for this, um, whether they're still going to be missing people. But obviously, get, you don't want get, to get too far down the transitive rabbit hole, but they did just beat the team by 40 points that beat Michigan State a few weeks ago. So maybe that even isn't too much. Michigan State beat Northwestern, right? Yeah, Michigan State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, I think that's a fair transitive property, actually. I mean, it's pretty recent. I mean, it's not like it. It's like yeah. Michigan State beat Northwestern and then went out and got its butt kicked by a North an Ohio State team that was missing like five starters. So that's pretty good transitive. It's not the end-all be-all, but I'll, I'll buy that. And let's wrap up with who's your four. This is where we pick our four college football playoff teams. And we've always said this is like who we're picking as of tonight. I thought it would maybe be a better exercise because we're not going to do another Monday Madness before they actually announce the playoff teams next Sunday. I'm a little bit more interested in who we think, what we think the actual four final seeds are going to be after the championship games on Saturday. Um, because I think there is going to be a, we've, we've been pretty stable in who we've been picking and which, who, how even we've been seeding them really one through four for a while, but I think it's going to have to get jumbled after the conference championship weekend. Yeah. So let's give that's based on what we think is going to happen on championship weekend. And then how we think the committee will react to that. We'll give what we think the four teams in order will be on selection Sunday. Cause that's all well, that matters. That's what you're saying. Yeah, so let's just pick some let's pick some winners first, and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll give the, the rankings based off of that. So Alabama, Florida, and the SEC championship game. Alabama, convincing. I'm taking Alabama too, and I think it's going to be maybe a, a, a butt whooping. Uh, 
Clemson, Notre Dame for the ACC championship. Clemson, because Clemson knows if Clemson doesn't win, Clemson might not make the playoff. And I can't imagine that this tremendous program, this tremendous winning program with the defining college football player of the last three seasons who lost to Notre Dame during the regular season when they weren't at full strength, that they will not come out and play their best game and that that best game won't be enough to beat Notre Dame. I'll just be surprised on a number of levels if that's how this unfolds. So I I like Clemson. I'm also taking Clemson. I think they are at full strength, just simply the more talented team. I think having Lawrence does make a difference, even though uh, Ulele did not play that bad in in the first game meeting. Um, But I will say my respect for Notre Dame has grown, as we talked about before. So it's worth considering, like, it would be astonishing to me. Like, last year it was weird that Alabama wasn't in the playoff and that they had really faded before that was even – it wasn't even really a a conversation whether they were going to be in playoff by the end of the season. It will be weird if Clemson's not in the playoff. Right, because Clemson's been in every year except the first year. So – and if Clemson loses, it's the Wild West for the four seed because (laughs) now it's two lost Clemson that lost to Notre Dame twice, both both at less than full strength and now at full strength versus potentially undefeated 6-0 USC from the Pac-12. Now you bring Texas A&M, 7-1 Texas A&M, who didn't even play in the SEC championship game. You bring them in. Do you bring undefeated Cincinnati as the American champ in? That's who you would be. That's who the committee would be picking between. Like two lost Clemson, undefeated Cincinnati, undefeated USC, one lost non-champ Texas A&M. That's the, what the committee would face if Clemson loses. Do you think the committee goes to that next level of thought like as what I'm about to suggest, which is if let's say this happens, Notre Dame beats Clemson. So Alabama is your one or maybe even Notre Dame is your one at that point. But Alabama, Notre Dame are your one, two, to some extent. Ohio State probably becomes your three there if Ohio State beats Northwestern. I assume we're both picking Ohio State to beat Northwestern. Correct. Yes. So Ohio State, I think, is the three seed there. And then your four seed. Are you going to take Texas A&M and make them the four seed? When they've already that puts them up against potentially Alabama again, who they've already lost to by twenty some points this year. And that's I don't know I, that they think about it that way, but that's going to look bad. I think you've got it. Well, I don't know that it would look bad. I mean, that's who you think it is. But I would finagle then. I would make Notre Dame the one seed, and have it yeah. be Notre Dame, Texas A and M, and have it be Alabama, Ohio State, which I think would be fine. I don't think that's an insult to anybody. Just Notre Dame, if I mean Alabama, if it, you know, whatever. Um, cause I think it's worth trying to avoid that, but yeah, I mean, I, but I wouldn't, I mean, if I were a committee member, I would argue very strongly against like, well, let's not put Texas A&M in just cause they've played Alabama. If you think they're the best team based on eye test and resume, then you've got to put them in, but I don't know that I would go there. I think I might go to USC before I go to Texas yeah. A&M. I mean, so I know U- I would. USC Washington, I guess we should go ahead and pick that cause it does have potential implications. Yeah, I mean Washington. I have. I mean, they have. They barely played. So I'll, I think USC with that with flow is at QB. Um, I'm going to take Washington. I feel like USC's luck will run out at some point. And then um, what would be though? I guess Cincinnati Tulsa is maybe the only other game that has pass. I have no idea. <laughs> Tulsa plays Ohio State in the non-conference next year. Right. So keep your eye on Tulsa. Um, but Cincinnati's having COVID issues, right? I have no idea. Right. And then whoever, if they, if they don't play that game, then uh, the, whoever wins, whoever is ranked higher in this case, it would be Cincinnati goes to the New Year's six they announced. So um, 
All right. So that leaves us with uh, how would we rank them based off of that? So in that, in that, so Clemson beats Notre Dame. So that means I think for both of us, Alabama's locked in at number one. Correct. The, the thing they want to do here is they want to avoid Clemson Notre Dame part three in a semifinal. I think they would actually avoid that. And there's just easy ways to do it. And we've yeah. talked about that before. So I think it would be Clemson two, Ohio state three, right. Notre Dame four. And That's then you exactly have Alabama, Notre Dame. And I mean, uh, arguably those are the best semifinals that the, that college football from a ratings perspective, from a broad swath interest perspective, I think it's the best semifinals given what the programs are historically and what the programs are in recent history. I think those are the best semifinals they could have. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I mean, you always think of it being, especially if Notre Dame were to like, if that Clemson Notre Dame game is good, like what if it's like a one touchdown game or a three point, three point, four point game. Um, And that's the Notre Dame team that you're then lining up with Alabama in the semifinals. I think that's pretty fascinating. And then obviously all the storylines for Ohio State Clemson, like the the committee has to, or the the playoff has to love the idea of getting another rematch between Clemson and Ohio State. It's become one of the best national rivalries in the country. I'm sure Ohio State fans are are looking forward to getting another shot. We know the players and coaches, I think, are looking forward to getting another shot. I think it would be a, a, a pretty fascinating day of football. And if Notre Dame wins, then I think Ohio State gets Notre Dame because I think it's Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Ohio State three. They figure out this four spot. And I think Notre Dame is a very good matchup for Ohio State. I think they would be fine in that semifinal. I actually think that's the best path for Ohio State is for Notre Dame to beat Clemson, figure out the four. Alabama's going to then beat the four unless they put Clemson in and Trevor Lawrence has something for Bama. Like Clemson loses twice to Notre Dame during the year. And then Trevor Lawrence takes down Bama, but that's possible. But that you figure Bama has the one seat beats the four. And now Ohio state has to beat Notre Dame and not only Notre Dame because Notre Dame's played very well, but I like Ohio state in that matchup. And then you got to beat Notre Dame to get to Bama. And that's a, not a bad thing for Ohio state to have on the table. If it's not Clemson, if it's not a two-loss Clemson, do you think it's Texas A&M? I think it's USC. If USC wins. Now, if it's your scenario where Washington beats USC and they don't take two-loss Clemson, now it's Texas A&M or Cincinnati. And so I don't know. I mean, like, but I could make an argument. Now, the other thing is Clemson's best win, if they lose to Notre Dame twice, their best wins over Miami, who just got killed by North Carolina, right? So how good is that win? So what's what's Clemson's best win, but also what's Texas A&M's best win? Right. So it's like I was like, okay, well Clemson lost twice. Well, yeah, but if Texas A&M had to play Bama twice, Texas A&M would also have two losses. So that's why you're putting in Texas A&M because the team they lost to, they didn't have to play again. But you actually, do you actually think Texas A&M is better than Clemson, or should you just say, well, okay, fine, they lost Notre Dame twice. Notre Dame's awesome. Clemson's still the fourth best team. I think I would be in the committee room making that argument or Cincinnati. All right. I get they lost Notre Dame twice. What if Cincinnati had to play Notre Dame twice? What do you think would have happened one time on the road without their quarterback and they lost in overtime and then they, play, overtime. then they play a close game in the championship game, full strength, play them close. Notre Dame's really good. And like, that's it for Clemson. So I don't know. It would be complicated. There'd be a lot of things to work out, but I think Clemson would have a shot, but it wouldn't be a sure thing. Um, I want to throw this at you real quick, just to, as, a, as a sign off uh, Alabama against Cincinnati, Notre Dame against Texas A&M, Ohio state versus Iowa state Clemson versus Oklahoma potential 18 for first round of an 18 playoff. I don't, 
have any interest in Iowa State being in the playoff. I mean, I get it. I was just the other week. I'm just that was just my guess based on what the rankings would be. No, how things right. Are. I, I mean, like this is one of those years. <clears throat> there's four teams that should be in, right? If this works out how we think it's going to work out, as we've said, every year four teams have to make the playoff. It doesn't mean there are really four playoff worthy teams. Sometimes there's two. Sometimes there's three. Sometimes there's six. Sometimes there's five. Sometimes there's seven. If this goes as we think and Alabama beats Florida, Ohio State beats Northwestern and Clemson beats Notre Dame, there's four playoff worthy teams and it's easy. And then I have not as much interest in an 18 playoff. So here's the thing. When we had the 18 playoff discussion before, that was about like the in the whole season, keeping teams involved, whatever, like opening it up. But when we're only talking about like in the moment, like we get the championship game weekend and it's like, hey, what do you think of this 18 playoff? And I say, did you just say a playoff with Texas A&M, Iowa State, and Cincinnati? Actually, I want to revise real quick. I forgot that Iowa State and Oklahoma would play each other this weekend for the Big 12 championship. I That had escaped my mind. So one of those gets eliminated. You'd have to then, – then that probably brings USC into it or, or whoever. But all those teams, like, are, I think, clearly worse in the top four. So, I mean, it would be a shock. It's one of those things, right? Okay, well, then – I'm just assuming that the top four seeds would all win pretty handily. And then we just decided to like spin our wheels for an extra weekend. So we could watch Alabama, Iowa state and Ohio state versus. Well, okay. But here's, but, but, but that's where I, but that's where I think it it does. So if I revise it real quick, let's say, let's say A&M's the five, Oklahoma's the six, USC is the seven, Cincinnati's the eight. So Alabama, Cincinnati is garbage. But then you get Notre Dame versus Texas A&M, Ohio State versus Oklahoma, Clemson versus USC. From a from a an audience standpoint, I think that's compelling. Yeah, no, I, it just it's it depends what the conversation you're having. From like a how, who's the better team? I mean, what are the betting lines in those games, right? And also, it's like okay, that's the kind of thing. Uh, we're not going to eighteen five. It's like, oh, you mean Oklahoma who crapped the bed when the season started, and now because you need to find an eighth team and there's nobody else good in their conference, now they have a chance to beat Ohio State? After they lost, they were started 0-2? Great, congratulate. Like, why Why do they earn that spot? They don't deserve that. They they, they ruined their own season. They don't deserve the, the backdoor in by winning a bunch of games at the end once they were out of it. So, Well, we were just talking about scenarios where somebody, and we're not sure who it would be, would be pulled in to be the number four seed if certain things happen this weekend. So, you, I mean, it happened last. What was the betting line when LSU played Oklahoma last year? One in the four. So I don't know if that's the most – I'm just saying that I think at some point when when there are potential matchups like this, I think that's what's eventually going to push this over the edge just from a a, a money standpoint. Yeah, no, I mean, there's great historic programs in there. If you're pulling USC and Texas A&M and Oklahoma into the playoff – and then some kind of wild card team, whether it's Cincinnati or Iowa State or somebody unexpected, and everybody gets excited. I get it. I just think that like, the quality of the game. I, I'm not dying from a competitive standpoint. I'm not dying to see that game. But you know, get back to me when the committee puts Texas A&M in the playoff ahead of Ohio State, and I'll be in favor of an 18 playoff. You know, but I don't think that's going to happen. So it's just hard. It's hard. But I think if you if you had the whole season and you were preparing yourself for it. The thing at the moment is the way the college football playoff works is you expect every – there's only three games, two semifinals and a championship game. You kind of expect them to be great. It's like sometimes you get LSU-Oklahoma. Sometimes you get Washington or Michigan State lays an egg in the semifinal. But you kind of expect it to be great because the, the quality of the teams is really high. 
you would just have to adjust your thinking where it's like the one eight game in an 18 playoff is often not going to be very good. But if no. we don't, if we're not expecting it to be good and it's just like another thing to watch on TV and it's an extra week in the college football and it's another four team fan, four teams fan bases that get to be excited. Then that part of it, I like the, do I want to watch those games the way my head is at, is at right now? No, I don't want to watch Iowa state play Notre Dame right now, but. I think at some point, like I say, I think at some point it's going to be money talks. I think it's, it's a, it was, last year was a $6 million guarantee that each playoff team brought back to its conference just for making the playoff. And then you don't get additional money for then advancing beyond that. I think, I think it's just, you make the playoff, you get a lump sum and $6 million kind of sounds like a lot for a conference this year because everybody doesn't have money, but in a given year, $6 million isn't like life-changing money for these, these conferences to say the least. So I think if they, if they find a way to make that more lucrative, I think that's what's eventually going to push it over. Not as much, you know, appeals to fairness or getting the right teams in the field or, or, or any of that stuff. I am also kind of glad they're not doing that this year because you can easily see ways that if they had expanded to eight this year and then w- one team gets COVID the wrong week, then it really gives you a, a potentially really uh, screwed up outcome to your, your football season and how, how you actually crown a champion. Not that it can't happen also, I guess with four teams, but yeah, half as likely. I guess that is how math works. That's it for Buckeye Talks Monday Madness. Come back with us on the Wednesday pod. We're going to have a lot of interviews with Ohio State this week. I assume our Wednesday pod is going to be, though, very heavy on National Signing Day preview stuff. Um, That's National Signing Day is Wednesday. We talked to Ryan Day a little bit about that today. We're going to have full interviews on Wednesday with him and probably some of the people around the program. but a lot of stuff leading up to Saturday's Big Ten Championship game against Northwestern at Lucas Oil Stadium. Anything else from you, Doug? I'm pondering a bonus pod for Tuesday just because it's just so weird. In this this season where we've had now, we didn't start until October 24th. Three of the eight regular season weeks, Ohio State didn't play a game. We just haven't been able to talk about football that much. And now we have a reason to talk about football, but it's also National Signing Day. And they're signing the number two class in the country. So there's like two huge things happening at the same time in a world where we've had weeks where not much was happening. So I'm kind of wondering, yes, like signing day is Wednesday. So on the big Thursday pod, we will talk a lot about signing day. And then Friday is the preview pod, but it's like, what are we going to preview the Big Ten championship game? Like, when are we going to actually talk about Northwestern's defense because we watched them? When are we going to, like, maybe have a Northwestern beat writer on? Like, I'm just wondering if we maybe need to have squeeze in a Tuesday pod here at some point, maybe do rapid fire or something, just give people a little extra because now it's like a double week. It's a championship week and a signing day week, and we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, everybody keep your eyes and ears open for that one, I guess. Uh, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.